Welcome to the More Perfect Union, the podcast that offers real debate without the hate. I'm Kevin Kelton, here today with TV producer Steve Leon rejoining us. Hi, Steve. Hey, Kevin. Great to be here. Fantastic. And a good friend of mine and a columnist for the LA Daily News, Doug McIntyre. Hey, Doug. Kevin, Steve, how are you? You know, Doug, I've read your work over the years and it's really been terrific. Oh, thank you. I wish you felt that way when you're still a program uh, programmer for the network. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody seemed to feel that way back then. <laughs> well, you know, I'm still a producer. I'm still working every day. Good for you. And enjoying it. Before I jump in, I always like to give my guests a chance to plug stuff. Doug, you have a book coming out next year. I know it's a little early, but as you know, I've read it and I'm a big fan. You want to talk a little about that? Yeah, thanks. Uh, The book is called Frank's Shadow, and I started it in 1998, and it will come out in July of 23, which means (laughs) it took 25 years for this book. So whatever will be said about me as a novelist, prolific won't be one of them. Uh, Cross that off. But I am just remember, Doug, it took it took Spielberg 15 years to get Schindler's List made. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, Spielberg and I are often mentioned in the same breath. So so I'm sure that'll there be a comfort go. to him as well. <laughs> and here you are upping Spielberg by 10 years. Exactly. So I am very excited about it. It's it's actually the, the book was born. I had a friend of mine whose dad died the same day Frank Sinatra died. And it occurred to me that the disparity between one death is ricocheting as headline news around the world. And the other guys in the back of the paper by the mattress ads, and they had to pay to put them there. And so it started as a kind of a, an examination of the value of life and, and the nature of fame. And then it basically became what it is. And that's been pretty much what I've been doing since I left radio. Although this month in October, sometime this month, I, I, I guest hosted for an hour on Seriously Sinatra on Sirius XM. Wow, uh, which was really fun uh, because I finally, as a talk show host, I was always getting in trouble for playing too much music. And now uh, I was playing music and I was talking too much. <laughs> so so let's get into the news of the week. Some of it will actually touch on us personally. Uh, the Oath Keepers trial. This is what I call the crown jewels of the January 6th defendants. These guys, they're the real thing. These are the real seditionists. Doug, do you think uh, there's any chance that these guys might walk? Well, look, look at how many people have walked who we didn't think would walk. So there's always a chance. The evidence to me is damning. I've always been hesitant to opine on trials in progress because, because unless you're in the courtroom and watching all the twists and turns, you never know how how a jury is reacting to things or what they're saying. Because a lot of times, even on court TV, they show the the television audience stuff that they've taken the the jury out of the room for but in the context of what ha- in my opinion there's never been any doubt that this was a coordinated even if it was a half-assed conspiracy there was definitely uh knowledge of forethought of what was happening and there were people who were advocating including our pal Roger Stone who clearly was in town specifically for the event 
And 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 I'm going to take the, the 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 tact. This is one of the crown jewels in the Justice Department's uh, investigation uh, purview. They they have been very very careful in this because of the ramifications. Merritt Garland is a very thorough and conservative and careful head of that department. They know exactly what they have, and they put together an airtight case. In fact, one of the the things that happened just yesterday that I found really interesting is that uh, the, the the head of the Oath Keepers tried to throw the other four guys under the bus, which the Justice Department was ready for, by saying that, well, they all went, but I didn't. But he gave <laughs> the order for them to go. This is Stuart Rhodes, so he's right? Part of the seditious conspiracy himself. By the way, he didn't go because he was also under a restraining order that he was, as I understand it, he was prohibited from being within the jurisdiction of Washington, D.C. for previous transgressions. Wow. <laughs> Which is a kind of an odd, it's an odd defense to say, well, I wasn't there because the last time I was there, I fucked up so bad, I'd be arrested if I was there. <laughs> I was kicked out of the nation's capital. That's who I am. That's but my they, defense. They, they also have tape of them talking about yeah. going there to overturn the election results. So there's, there's actual audio evidence yeah. about what their intention in being there was. Yeah, it's, it's like Robert Blake saying, well, case. I couldn't have killed her. I left my gun in the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> what I find fascinating about this defense, and I have to confess, I haven't really studied this particular case yet. I've just heard some headlines talking about it. But what I find fascinating is apparently they have a two-pronged defense. One is they're taking each individual element of what they did and separating it and saying, well, this isn't illegal. It's not illegal to talk on social media. It's not illegal to go to Washington for a protest. It's not illegal to carry weapons. And therefore, we did nothing wrong because they're raking it all apart and taking the context away. But the part that I find more interesting is they seem to be claiming that they were there because they believed that their commander-in-chief, Donald Trump, was going to give them orders to do whatever it is that they were talking about, as if regular citizens answer to the commands of the president, answer to the commands of the commander-in-chief in a wartime-like way. <laughs> well, they were hearkening back to their, you know, their, the, uh, the Virginia incident uh, when Donald Trump's uh, The Proud Boys first became really a big national story. And he said, stand down and stand by, the famous stand by, as if this was sort of a Praetorian guard that was available to him when the time was right. And, and that's, something he, that's something he mentioned during the debate in October of yeah. 20. Right. Yeah. So, you know, while it's completely nuts, it wasn't completely, well, it's not fair to say it was completely nuts. In that universe of, of paranoia, a conspiracy theorist world, they had reason to believe that the president had their back and they had his back. Yeah, but I, 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 again, I think it's a, um, and I guess the Supreme Court would ultimately decide, but I think it's a bastardization of the, the wording of the Constitution to say, well, we call ourselves a militia. The Constitution mentions militias, therefore, we answer to the commander-in-chief. Yeah, And their defense, their, their full defense, is that they were there for Donald Trump and that he is the one who's responsible, not them. Right. 
Well, that's, you know, that's a really bad defense because, you know, as we you know, ask the Manson killers, they might have been sent by Charlie, but they still went and, and did the killing. Yeah, so exactly. It doesn't absolve you from the consequences of your actions. You know, David Berkowitz said a dog told him to go out and kill him. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember them putting the dog to sleep. No, <laughs> they may have, but I'm just saying. Even more troubling to me is I don't know if you guys had heard this, but there have been an incredible infusion of tweets in the uh, Internet universe about civil war since Trump's uh, ra- the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Well, that's uh, that's that's a great fear. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, there were something like 20,000 tweets that came in about civil war in the days right after the raid. And that has continued uh, the, the number is way higher than it had been before the raid. And there, there are, uh, there's a large group of people out there who think civil war is inevitable. Yeah. And, and I, think it's, I think it weighs heavily on Merrick Garland and the Justice Department, because the reality is, while I personally believe that Donald Trump is criminally liable for the events of January 6th and a whole bunch more, the act of arresting and prosecuting and theoretically imprisoning the former president of the United States is an act that is unprecedented and given not only the current climate in the country, but the connective tissue of the digital universe, you have to take this very seriously that the the opportunity for violence in the aftermath of such an event is enormous. And it's I think that it probably weighs very, very heavily on why they got to have, if they're going to go forward with this, they better have, there can be no question mark that is left unanswered. Yeah. But even then, even if they have an airtight case, people will be so incensed uh-huh. that they will feel that they have to go and take up military arms or they have to start that upcoming civil war or whatever it is that's on their mind, feeling that their leader is being abused by a system that's rigged and and against them. I agree. I mean, we're in a very dangerous moment in American history. It's enormously dangerous. And and this is where now I'm going to I'm just to stir the pot here a little. This is where I say I do believe the believer that the left has contributed to this culture. Going back to President Select Bush and the coup d'etat, judicial coup d'etat of the Supreme Court in the 2000 election, we on both sides have been chipping away at the legitimacy of our institutions for a long time when they don't get their way. And, and also, even like the CNN culture uh, of w- w- Trump would fart and 14 people would run into the studios to analyze how much, you know, gas came out of his ass and et cetera, et cetera. And they got, you know, whiteboards to the diagram uh, where the fart went, and then uh, they, they and so much of it turned out not to be true. Just turned out to be hyperbole, and they could be played by the Trump people. By you know, there's a scandal, so he creates another scandal, and they go running off of that, and they forgot about the one that they hadn't even covered yet. So, so this feeding frenzy, I think, has been going on for a while, but it is really, I think, we dodged an incredible bullet on election day in 2020. And this is just there's no way of knowing this, fortunately. But I believe that had Donald Trump won the election in 2020, I think every city in America would have burned. I think the left, all those people are out in the streets celebrating, 
tenfold would have been out in fury. And I, you know, in the wake of the George Floyd violence that we saw, I just, you know, again, there's no way of knowing, but it's just a gut feeling. I just, so I think that the, the fuse has been lit in both directions right now. I, Steve, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that an arrest, an imprisonment, any kind of trial of Donald Trump is a trigger for civil war. But I think the 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 fuse is lit on both sides. I want to go back to something you just you just said because I don't agree with it, and 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 that's I don't, I believe that the, the Democrats were prepared to accept the results of the 2020 election. So if Trump had won legitimately, I don't think anybody would have gone and, 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 and burned up cities or, or, or tried to change the results in Congress or anything of that like. I think as unhappy as a lot of people, including myself, would have been, we would have accepted the results. We may have had to make other adjustments, like some of us may have moved to Canada, but we would have accepted the results. The well, like I said, we'll that- never know. I, I, I don't think that they would have tried to undo the results in Congress. I totally agree with you. That ridiculous, you know, Josh Hawley and those people. Uh, I don't think that would have gone on. But I do believe that the passions were so inflamed that, that cities and stores got looted in Santa Monica over George Floyd shows that there's a measure of rage that is, a, that is available to explode at a moment's notice and in unusual places. But again, happily, we don't know the answer to this. Well, let me take both of what you're saying and and make a third hypothetical that I I think maybe is going to be very interesting. Suppose that after the events of the day of January 6th, suppose the Secret Service had whisked Mike Pence away and he wasn't able to get back and they were, were not able to affirm the election outcome in the Electoral College that evening. And suppose Trump and his people had succeeded in getting multiple slates of electors sent to Congress, and somehow in the process, it went to to Congress to vote, and Donald Trump ended up being declared the winner. Is that when the left might have taken arms up, feeling that they had been abused and that they had been cheated out of the rightful outcome of the election, especially after the day events of January 6th. And in that case, would that have sparked a civil war? Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, I'm just I, not sure that, 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 that people on the left are as militant and as willing to go to those extremes. Well, that, that's right. probably true, but that's also the danger because if, let's say, Trump wins, or if, even if it's DeSantis or Abbott or somebody else, who runs and wins in a squeaker that the left thinks is illegitimate and really could document that it's illegitimate. If you don't have people who are willing to back that up, then you are living in a, uh, whatever you want to call it, democracy, a clown democracy. I I must say that I think that both of you guys are suffering from a global phenomenon, a blind spot that the left has about itself. And I mean it because if you look globally, there are leftist violent acts all the time globally. You can't go 10 minutes in France without the left going to the streets and rocking buses and setting police cars on fire. We've seen it in the city of Portland. We see it in Seattle. We see it every time there's a G7 summit. And we saw it in Occupy Wall Street. 
the thing is, the the we right, saw it during the 1970s during the anti-war. Right, of course we did. Yeah. It, it, you know, the thing is, passions are passions. Explosive passions are not relegated to one side. You know, with with the left, you usually see young people, and with the right, you're seeing 58 year old guys with big guts. <laughs> I think I think it's gonna it's gonna happen differently, and I believe there's a really great chance that America is going to split off into two countries. That there will be the Midwest and the South is one country, and that the two coasts will be another, and that there will be some form of a military alliance that will unite them, as well as trade agreements, but they'll have two different types of governments. And that's what I think Trump is going to, is going to ring through. Well, if that happens, once I get my MAGA country passport, I'm coming to visit you guys. Yeah, you got to have your well, shots. Well, it, it, it really is going to count about what, what part of the country you live in. But, yeah. but it, I mean, I I think it's very very likely that at some point you may have two different united groups of states. I don't disagree with you, Steve, in this regard. And now we're getting into more of my half baked theories. But <laughs> the internet, the Satan's tool has totally changed. It is such a hugely epical event because what it did was it liberated people from geography. And Thomas Friedman wrote about this in The the Earth is Flat or whatever. Kids grow up playing video games with friends globally, literally globally. And as a result, they aren't necessarily, uh, they don't have a a tie specifically emotionally to where they live. Their interests can be on the other side of the planet. Kevin, and when we were uh, uh, in Canada in the early 90s, working on a show together, that was a r- r- big Quebec separatist movement there. And one of the things that was fascinating about being there at that time is that had Quebec split from the rest of English-speaking Canada, it would have isolated Newfoundland and Prince Edward Island, and we would have had even newer New England because they couldn't possibly survive with a French-speaking independent nation blocking them from the rest of, from Ontario and the rest of English-speaking Canada. And then uh, it turned out Vancouver said, "Well, if Quebec goes, we will break away because they objected to all the tax dollars they sent to Toronto that never came back to Vancouver." So you saw thirty years ago. Canada on the verge of disintegration. But to Steve's point, if you have this geographic no man's land separating the two halves, the Northeast Corridor from the entire Pacific coast, how do you have a country with this giant opposition in the middle? I mean, that's what the American Civil War was a clean delineation. Right, right. You, You can't. And that's why I'm not as pessimistic in that regard. I do think that there is going to be violence. It's not going to be the kind of civil war that we saw in the 1860s. I do think that there's going to be some violence between here and there, between getting back to being a country at one. But I don't I don't think we're going to break up because of that. I don't see how the geography works that way, unless you can string together some Rust Belt states. But even then, once you get to the, the Midwest, how do you do that? The More Perfect Union returns after this. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. 
If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Picking up our conversation, Steve Leon, you had some thoughts about this whole idea of the country potentially splitting up someday. I, I mean, I don't know, you know, exactly how the split happens or whatever else, but I think we're reaching a point of no return where people just are so diametrically opposed and people are so militant that they won't change their opinions. And our country has always lived and, 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 and prospered through majority rule. But when people stop believing in a majority rule and when elections no longer, when results are no longer counted on as being accurate, at that point, you, you fall into a lack of, of, of real rule-based society. And that's when something like that becomes more possible. And it is extreme to think about it. But there's it's literally, you're going to have one part of the country wanting to believe in democracy and rule-based order, and another saying, no, if we lose, we still win, and, and it, it, we can't lose an election because we, we don't believe that it, the rules have been laid out fairly, regardless. Well, you're exactly right, Steve, and that's the problem. The problem is the stolen election people believe that the election was stolen, and 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 in the in the simplest way to explain it is the mail ballots that went out during COVID in California that now become a permanent fixture in California, uh, and the drop off boxes that are all over the place that are still up. You know they're there. You know twelve months out of the year, they are convinced that that's phony that that is an invitation to massive voter fraud and that it's easy for the computers, you know, and that's why they seize on uh, Diebold and, and all of these companies that make the equipment that they wrote a campaign contribution to a Democrat, and therefore that's the smoking gun that they're in the tank for. And so the whole operation, this whole operation works on the principle of the consent of the governed. But if the governed withdraw that consent, it doesn't work at all. It's completely, uh, the system fails. Yeah, yeah. You have groups that are choosing to say the election, the election will not be fair well before the election is ever held. Mm -hmm. That's correct. That's, that's the problem. I mean, it has now become a, uh, a theme for a very significant group of people, 60% of the Republican Party believe that Joe Biden is the illegitimate president of the United States. 60% of the major, one of the two major political parties. Yeah, no, it's, it's a huge problem. And, and uh, I remind you that Donald Trump was claiming the election he won in 2016 was, was a rigged election. So there's shenanigans. We know that there's shenanigans. There's all kinds of shenanigans that always go on in elections. And if if that's what you're looking for, my old colleague from many moons ago at KBC, Dennis uh, Dennis Prager, used to call it before he was crazy. He used to call it the proctologist view of America. That if that's where you look, that's what you're going to see. And, and there's a lot of people who are blinded by their partisan hatreds that if they want to find in a nation of a third of a billion people across multiple time zones, if you want to find evidence of whatever, you'll find it. 
And if, the, if, if, if any example is enough to hang your hat on, then you're off to the races. And it's fed constantly through, you know, propaganda. Absolutely. So again, I love, I love this conversation and I could let it go on, but I want to throw in another element because I learned something very interesting overnight. Steve, you may remember, I think I railed about Roger Stone the last time you and I were on a podcast together. I love talking about Roger Stone because I think that he is the connective tissue of everything that's bad in this country. And uh, I learned out that, uh, Doug, you have a, a sort of a, a one degree of separation there, don't you? Well, this is this is strange. I had a couple of encounters with him. Uh, so in 2013, I didn't know that much about. Him. I knew who he was, and I and I vaguely knew that he was this sort of dirty tricks operative, political operative. But and just had, to put this in context as to why I'm bringing it up now, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Doug. Just for our listeners, Stone is a key element in the whole January 6th plot, and also Proud with the Oath Keepers. Right. There's there's a lot of us who believe that he was behind all of the not all of but but a good portion of the militias who converged on uh, Washington D.C. with the uh, the secret intent of having some kind of a um, a civil war or whatever you want to call it an uprising. And with that, I want to turn it back to you, Doug. So in 2013, he wrote this book on the 50th anniversary of JFK's assassination. He wrote this book. That pinned the blame, not just the blame, that put LBJ, Lyndon Johnson, as the prime organizer of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And it's unmitigated rubbish. It's bullshit. So when you're in the talk radio business, every publisher sends you avails, author avails, except for your book and my book, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> They'd mace us if we get near a radio studio <laughs> or a fiction. Anyway. I, I, I get this thing. My producer says, you know, Roger Stone is peddling this. Uh, and I said, book him. So we get him on the show and he starts to mouth off this nonsense. And I call him on it. I said, it's not true. JFK was not objecting to uh, LBJ being on the ticket. Bobby Kennedy was. But this was just politics one on one. The Democrats needed a whole Texas to win the election. And they turned to Lyndon Johnson to win the election. And it got real heated. And he says, well, you obviously haven't read my book. And I said to him, I not only haven't read your book, as soon as this is over, I'm throwing it out. And then I said, in fact, I'm throwing it out right now. And then I took it and I hurled it into a trash can and it made a really explosive <laughs> thumping noise because it was and he hung up on me. And then he he tweeted out that I was the asshole of the day. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and New Times down in Florida, I did, you know, apparently they... I knew somebody called me or sent an email saying, you know, he's called you the asshole of the day. How do you feel about that? And I said, we retweeted it. It's a badge of honor. Okay. <laughs> so that was the encounter. Last night, uh, somebody sent me, I had no idea that this was a, a print article in New Times down in Florida in Broward County. Uh, so somebody just coincidentally just happened to send me the article recapping the whole thing. But a few years I guess it was in 2018, I was uh, speaking, I had been invited to speak at Politicon in Pasadena. And they put me on a panel with Roger Stone. <laughs> he was going to be on the panel. And I really went back and forth about, do I want to do this? And I thought, yeah, I, I kind of do want to do it. You know, I thought, but, but here's this, I don't know if this is interesting or not. 
I, 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 I glibly said I want this carved on my tombstone because it is a point of pride. But on the other hand, it's the only time in 25 years on the air that I invited a guest for the express purpose of fighting with them. And, and I have no problem fighting with somebody and even getting genuinely angry at somebody if it's organic. But even the loathsome Roger Stone, I felt as a talk show host, if you take the term host and guest seriously, I always kind of felt bad about the fact I just should have not had him on the show. I, you know, because it just gives off, first of all, it gives more oxygen to the crappy book. But the bottom line is I'm sort of a hypocrite because I, I do kind of enjoy that it's in print that he called me an asshole. <laughs> well, w- one part of it that I want to explore, and I know we're getting way off the topic of, of the daily, uh, you know, the news of the week. But as I read this article, because I didn't hear the the original interview, but in reading the article, it seems that he came in and he had written this book. And like you said, Doug, the premise was LBJ was behind the JFK assassination. Right. But at the beginning of the book and the part that you had gotten into in this in this interview before it was aborted was how he was explaining LBJ came to be on the ticket as his vice presidential candidate and that he was claiming LBJ had evidence given to him by J. Edgar Hoover about JFK's affairs. Right. And that he bribed JFK. He said, if you don't put me on the ticket. Yeah. Right. And what I found amusing about that is let's just say that that might have happened. Okay, let's just say that that LBJ went to him with this evidence and suggested, I have this information that if I'm not on the ticket, I'm going to put this out there and stop you from becoming president. Well, first of all, that would have made him minority leader. I don't think LBJ would have wanted that. But let's say he was even more devious and he said, I'll sit on this until you're elected and then I'll put it out there and your vice president will take over, right? Because you'll be you know, uh, embarrassed out of office. So let's say that that Kennedy thought about it and he thought, well, if I put this guy on the ticket, maybe he won't do that. Well, then the immediate thought after that has to be, well, now I've put the guy who would be, who would take my place. Right. And he's got this information in hand that he could put out at any time. So it makes no sense to put that guy on the ticket. It it makes no sense. And look, you know, if you read Robert Caro, who is by far the definitive LBJ biographer, spent basically his whole life right about Lyndon. There's just not there's not a shred of evidence that that happened now. uh, But 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 whatever. The point is, is that Stone is a provocateur. There's more money to be made by making an outrageous claim and marketing it. But this is part of what Steve was talking about, the spread of disinformation. You know, Steve Bannon famously said the way we're not running against the Democrats, we're running against the media. And the and the way to beat them is to flood the market with bullshit. That's a direct quote. And that has been the MO from Jump Street, that you just put so much stuff out there that people now they can't absorb it all. So you just end up retreating into your own belief system. You believe what you are inclined to believe, both pro and con. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're at. My conversation with Doug McIntyre and Steve Leon continued as we covered a wide range of topics, including where the country goes in the future and the effect of the news media on that direction of the country. 
And that half of our conversation will be coming in a future episode. So tune in again for the more Perfect Union. This is Kevin Kelton saying thanks. We'll see you soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.